Section 5 of The Elements of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Elements of Geology by William Harmon Norton. Chapter 2 The Work of Groundwater. Landwaters. We have seen how large is the part that water plays at and near the surface of the land in the processes of weathering and in the slow movement of waste down all slopes to the streamways. We now take up the work of water as it descends beneath the ground, a corrosive agent still, and carrying in solution as its load the invisible waste of rocks derived from their soluble parts. Land waters have their immediate source in the rainfall. By the heat of the sun, water is evaporated from the reservoir of the ocean and from most surfaces everywhere. Mingled as vapor with the air, it is carried by the winds over sea and land, and condensed it returns to the earth as rain or snow. That part of the rainfall which descends on the ocean does not concern us, but that which falls on the land accomplishes, as it returns to the sea, the most important work of all surface geological agencies. The rainfall may be divided into three parts. The first dries up, being discharged into the air by evaporation either directly from the soil or through vegetation. The second runs off over the surface to flood the streams. The third soaks in the ground, and is henceforth known as ground or underground water. The Descent of Groundwater Seeping through the mantle of waste, groundwater soaks into the pores and crevices of the underlying rock. All rocks of the upper crust of the earth are more or less porous, and all drink in water. Impervious rocks, such as granite, clay, and shale, have pores so minute that the water which they take in is held fast within them by capillary attraction, and none drains through. Pervious rocks, on the other hand, such as many sandstones, have pore spaces so large that water filters through them more or less freely. Besides its seepage through the pores of pervious rocks, water passes to lower levels through the joints and cracks by which all rocks near the surface are broken. Even the closest grained granite has a pore space of one in four hundred, while sandstone may have a pore space of one in four. Sand is so porous that it may absorb a third of its volume of water, and loose loam even as much as one half. The groundwater surface is the name given to the upper surface of groundwater, the level below which all rocks are saturated. In dry seasons, the groundwater surface sinks, for groundwater is constantly seeping downward under gravity. It is evaporated in the waste, and its moisture is carried upward by capillarity and the roots of plants to the surface to be evaporated in the air. In wet seasons, these constant losses are more than made good by fresh supplies from that part of the rainfall which soaks into the ground, and the groundwater surface rises. In moist climates, the groundwater surface, figure 24, lies, as a rule, within a few feet of the land surface and conforms to it in a general way, although with slopes of less inclination than those of the hills and valleys. In the dry climates, permanent groundwater may be found only at depths of hundreds of feet. 
groundwater is held at its height by the fact that its circulation is constantly impeded by capillarity and friction. If it were as free to drain away as our surface streams, it would sink, soon after a rain, to the level of the deepest valleys of the region. Wells and Springs Excavations made in permeable rocks below the groundwater surface fill to its level and are known as wells. Where valleys cut this surface, permanent streams are formed, the water either oozing forth along ill-defined areas or issuing at definite points called springs, where it is concentrated by the structure of the rocks. A level tract where the groundwater surface coincides with the surface of the ground is a swamp or marsh. By studying a spring, one may learn much of the ways and work of groundwater. Spring waters differs from that of the stream into which it flows in several respects. If we test the spring with a thermometer during successive months, we shall find that its temperature remains much the same year-round. In summer it is markedly cooler than the stream. In winter it is warmer and remains unfrozen while the latter perhaps is locked in ice. This means that its underground path must lie at such a distance from the surface that it is little affected by summer's heat and winter's cold. While the stream is often turbid with surface waste washed into it by rains, the spring remains clear. Its water has been filtered during the slow movement through many small underground passages and the pores of rocks. Commonly the spring differs from the stream in that it carries a far larger load of dissolved rock. Chemical analysis proves that streams contain various minerals in solution, but these are usually in quantities so small that they are not perceptible to the taste or feel. But the water of springs is often well charged with soluble minerals. In its slow, long journey underground, it has searched out the soluble parts of the rocks through which it seeps, and has dissolved as much of them as it could. When spring water is boiled away, the invisible load which it has carried is left behind, and in composition is found to be practically identical with that of the soluble ingredients of the country rock. Although to some extent the soluble waste of rocks is washed down surface slopes by the rain, by far the larger part is carried downward by groundwater and is delivered to streams by springs. In limestone regions, springs are charged with calcium carbonate, the carbonate of lime. And where the limestone is magnesium, they contain magnesium carbonate also. Such waters are hard. When used in washing, the minerals which they contain combine with the fatty acids of soap to form insoluble curdy compounds. When springs rise from rocks containing gypsum, they are hard with calcium sulfate. In granite regions, they contain more or less soda and potash from the decay of feldspar. The flow of springs varies much less during the different seasons of the year than does that of surface streams. So slow is the movement of groundwater through the rocks that even during long droughts, large amounts remain stored above the levels of surface drainage. Movements of Groundwater Groundwater is in constant movement toward its outlets. Its rate varies according to many conditions, but always is extremely slow. Even through loose sands beneath the beds of rivers, it sometimes does not exceed a fifth of a mile a year. 
In any region, two zones of flow may be distinguished. The upper zone of flow extends from the groundwater surface downward through the waste mantle and any permeable rocks on which the mantle rests. As far as the first impermeable layer, when descending movement of the water is stopped. The deep zones of flow occupy any pervious rocks which may be found below the impervious layer which lies nearest to the surface. The upper zone is a vast sheet of water saturating the soil and rocks and slowly seeping downward through their pores and interstices along the slopes to the valleys where in part it discharges in springs and often unites also in a wide underflowing stream which supports and feeds the river, figure 24. A city in a region of copious rains, built on the narrow flood plains of a river, overlooked by hills, depends for its water supply on driven wells within the city limits, sunk in the sand a few yards from the edge of the stream. Are these wells fed by water from the river percolating through the sand or by groundwater on its way to the stream and possibly contaminated with the sewage of the town? At what height does the underground water stand in the wells of your region? Does it vary with the season? Have you ever known wells to go dry? It may be possible to get data from different wells and to draw a diagram showing the groundwater surface as compared with the surface of the ground. Fisher Springs and Artesian Wells The deeper zones of flow lie in pervious strata, which are overlain by some impervious stratum. Such layers are often carried by their dip to great depths, and water may circulate in them to far below the level of the surface streams and even of the sea. When a fissure crosses a water-bearing stratum, or aquifer, water is forced upward by the pressure of the weight of the water contained in the higher parts of the stratum, and may reach the surface as a fissure spring. A boring which taps such an aquifer is known as an artesian well a name derived from a province in France where wells of this kind have been long in use. The rise of the water in artesian wells and in fissure springs also depends on the following conditions illustrated in figure 29. The aquifer dips toward the region of the wells from higher ground, where it outcrops and receives its water. It is enclosed between an impervious layer above and watertight or waterlogged layers beneath. The weight of the column of water thus enclosed in the aquifer causes the water to rise in the well, precisely as the weight of the water in a standpipe forces it in connected pipes to the upper stories of buildings. Which will supply the larger region with artesian wells, an aquifer whose dip is steep or one whose dip is gentle? Which of the two aquifers, their thickness being equal, will have the larger outcrop and therefore be able to draw upon the larger amount of water from the rainfall. Illustrate with diagrams. The Zone of Solution Near the surface, where the circulation of groundwater is most active, it oxidizes, corrodes, and dissolves the rocks through which it passes. It leaches soils and subsoils of their lime and other soluble minerals upon which plants depend for their food. It takes away the soluble cements of rocks. It widens fissures and joints and opens winding passages along the bedding planes. It may even remove whole beds of soluble rocks, such as rock salt, 
limestone, or gypsum. The work of groundwater in producing landslides has already been noticed. The zone in which the work of groundwater is thus for the most part destructive we may call the zone of solution. Caves. In massive limestone rocks, groundwater dissolves channels which sometimes form large caves, figure 30. The necessary conditions for the excavation of caves of great size are well shown in central Kentucky, where an upland is built throughout of thick horizontal beds of limestone. The absence of layers of insoluble or impervious rocks in its structure allows a free circulation of groundwater within it by the way of all natural openings in the rock. These waterways have been gradually enlarged by solution and wear until the upland is honeycombed with caves. Five hundred open caverns are known in one county. Mammoth Cave, the largest of these caverns, consists of a labyrinth of chambers and winding galleries whose total length is said to be as much as thirty miles. One passage, four miles long, has an average width of about 60 feet and an average height of 40 feet. One of the great halls is 300 feet in width and is overhung by a solid arch of limestone 100 feet above the floor. Galleries at different levels are connected by well-like pits, some of which measure 225 feet from top to bottom. Through some of the lowest of these tunnels flows Echo River, still at work dissolving and wearing away the rock, while on its dark way to appear at the surface as a great spring. Natural Bridges As a cavern enlarges and the surface of the land above it is lowered by weathering, the roof at last breaks down and the cave becomes an open ravine. A portion of the roof may for a while remain, forming a natural bridge. Sinkholes In limestone regions, Channels underground may become so well developed that the water of rains rapidly drains away through them. Groundwater stands low and wells must be sunk deep to find it. Little or no surface water is left to form brooks. Thus across the limestone upland of central Kentucky one meets but three surface streams in a hundred miles. Between their valleys, surface water finds its way underground by means of sinkholes. These are pits, commonly funnel-shaped, formed by the enlargement of crevice or joint by percolating water, or by the breakdown of some portion of the roof of a cave. By clogging of the outlet, a sinkhole may come to be filled by a pond. Central Florida is a limestone region with its drainage largely subterranean and in part below the level even of the sea. Sinkholes are common and many of them are occupied by lakelets. Great springs mark the point of issue of underground streams, while some rise from beneath the sea. Silver Spring, one of the largest, discharges from a basin 800 feet wide and 30 feet deep a little river, navigable for some steamers to its source. About the spring there are no surface streams for sixty miles. The Karst Along the eastern coast of the Adriatic, as far south as Montenegro, lies a belt of limestone mountains singularly worn and honeycombed by the solvent action of water. Where forests have been cut from the mountain sides and the red soil has washed away, 
The surface of the white limestone forms a pathless desert of rock where each square rod has been corroded into an intricate branch work of shallow furrows and sharp ridges. Great sinkholes, some of them 600 feet deep and more, pockmark the surface of the land. The drainage is chiefly subterranean. Surface streams are rare and a portion of their courses is often underground. Fragmentary valleys come suddenly to an end at walls of rock where the rivers which occupy the valleys plunge into dark tunnels to reappear some miles away. Groundwater stands so far below the surface that it cannot be reached by wells, and the inhabitants depend on rainwater stored for household uses. The finest cavern of Europe, the Adelsberg Grotto, is in this region. Karst, the name of a part of this country, is now used to designate any region or landscape thus sculptured by the chemical action of surface and groundwater. We must remember that karst regions are rare, and striking as is the work of subterranean streams. It is far less important that the work done by sheets of underground water slowly seeping through all subsoils and porous rocks in other regions. Even when gathered into definite channels, groundwater does not have the erosive power of surface streams, since it carries with it little or no rock waste. Regions whose underground drainage is so perfect that the development of surface streams has been retarded or prevented escape to a large extent the leveling action of surface running waters, and may therefore stand higher than the surrounding country. The hill honeycombed by Luray Cavern, Virginia, has been attributed to this cause. Cavern Deposits Even in the zone of solution, water may under certain circumstances deposit as well as erode. As it trickles from the roof of caverns, the lime carbonate which it is taken into solution from the layers of limestone above is deposited by evaporation in the air in icicle-like pendants called stalactites. As the drops splash on the floor, there are built up in the same way thicker masses called stalagmites, which may grow to join the stalactites above, forming pillars. A stalagmitic crust often seals with rock the earth which accumulates in caverns, together with whatever relics of cave dwellers, either animals or men, it may contain. Can you explain why slender stalactites formed by the drip of single drops are often hollow pipes? The zone of cementation. With increasing depth, subterranean water becomes more and more sluggish in its movements and more and more highly charged with minerals dissolved from the rocks above. At such depths it deposits these minerals in the pores of rocks, cementing their grains together, and in crevices and fissures, forming mineral veins. Thus below the zone of solution, where the work of water is to dissolve lies the zone of cementation, where its work is chemical deposit. A part of the invisible load of waste is thus transferred from rocks near the surface to those at greater depths. As the land surface is gradually lowered by weathering and the work of rain and streams, rocks which have lain deep within the zone of cementation are brought within the zone of solution. Thus, there are exposed to view limestones, whose cracks were filled with calcite, crystallized carbonate of lime, with quartz or other minerals, and sandstones whose grains were well cemented many feet below the surface. K. 
cavity filling. Small cavities in the rocks are often found more or less completely filled with minerals deposited from solution by water in its constant circulation underground. The process may be illustrated by the deposit of salt crystals in a cup of evaporating brine. But in the latter instance, the solution is not renewed, as in the case of cavities in the rocks. A cavity thus lined with inward pointing crystals is called a geode. Concretions Groundwater seeping through the pores of rocks may gather minerals disseminated through them into nodular masses called concretions. Thus, silica disseminated through limestone is gathered into nodules of flint. While geodes grow from the outside inwards, concretions grow outwards from the center. Nor are they formed in already existing cavities as are geodes. In soft clays, concretions may, as they grow, press the clay aside. In many other rocks, concretions are made by the process of replacement. Molecule by molecule, the rock is removed and the mineral of the concretion substituted in its place. The concretion may in this way preserve intact the lamination lines or other structures of the rock. Clays and shales often contain concretions of lime carbonate, of iron carbonate, or of iron sulfide. Some fossil, such as a leaf or shell, frequently forms the nucleus around which the concretion grows. Why are building stones more easily worked when green than after their quarry water has dried out? Deposits of Groundwater in Arid Regions In arid lands where groundwater is drawn by capillarity to the surface and there evaporates, it leaves as surface incrustations the minerals held in solutions. White limey incrustations of this nature cover considerable tracts in northern Mexico. Evaporating beneath the surface, groundwater may deposit a limey cement in beds of loose sand and gravel. Such firmly cemented layers are not uncommon in western Kansas and Nebraska, where they are known as mortar beds. Thermal Springs While the lower limit of surface drainage is sea level, subterranean water circulates much below that depth and is brought again to the surface by hydrostatic pressure. In many instances, springs have a higher temperature than the average annual temperature of the region and are then known as thermal springs. In regions of present or recent volcanic activity, such as the Yellowstone National Park, we may believe that the heat of thermal springs is derived from uncooled lavas, perhaps not far below the surface. But when hot springs occur at a distance of hundreds of miles from any volcano, as in the case of the hot springs of Bath, England, it is probable that their waters have risen from the heated rocks of the Earth's interior. The springs of Bath have a temperature of 120 degrees Fahrenheit, 70 degrees above the average annual temperature of the place. If we assume that the rate of increase in the Earth's internal heat is here the average rate, 1 degree Fahrenheit to every 60 feet of descent, we may conclude that the springs of Bath rise from at least a depth of 4,200 feet. Water may descend to depths from which it can never be brought back by hydrostatic pressure. It is absorbed by highly heated rocks deep below the surface. From time to time, some of this deep-seated water may be returned to open air in the steam of volcanic eruptions. Surface Deposits of Springs Where subterranean water returns to the surface, highly charged with minerals in solution, 
On exposure to the air, it is commonly compelled to lay down much of its invisible load in chemical deposits about the spring. These are thrown down from solution either because of cooling, evaporation, the loss of carbon dioxide, or the work of algae. Many springs have been charged under pressure with carbon dioxide from subterranean sources and are able therefore to take up large quantities of lime carbonate from the limestone rocks through which they pass. On reaching the surface the pressure is relieved, the gas escapes, and the lime carbonate is thrown down in deposits called travertine. The gas is sometimes withdrawn and the deposit produced in large part by the action of algae and other humble forms of plant life. At the Mammoth Hot Springs in the valley of the Gardiner River, Yellowstone National Park, beautiful terraces and basins of travertine are now building, chiefly by means of algae which cover the bottoms, rims, and sides of the basins and deposit lime carbonate upon them in successive sheets. The rock, snow white where dry, is coated with red and orange gelatinous mats where the algae thrive in the overflowing waters. Similar terraces of travertine are found to a height of 1,400 feet up the valley side. We may infer that the springs which formed these ancient deposits discharged near what was then the bottom of the valley, and that as the valley has been deepened by the river, the groundwater of the region has found lower and lower points of issue. In many parts of the country, calcareous springs occur which coat with lime carbonate, mosses, twigs, and other objects over which their waters flow. Such are popularly known as petrifying springs, although they merely encrust the objects and do not convert them into stone. Silica is soluble in alkaline waters, especially when these are hot. Hot springs, rising through alkaline siliceous rocks such as lavas, often deposit silica in a white spongy formation known as siliceous sinter, both by evaporation and by the action of algae which secrete silica from the waters. It is in this way that the cones and mounds of the geysers in the Yellowstone National Park and in Iceland have been formed. Where water oozes from the earth, one may sometimes see a rusty deposit on the ground, and perhaps an iridescent scum upon the water. The scum is often mistaken for oil, but at a touch it cracks and breaks, as oil would not do. It is a film of hydrated iron oxide or limonite, and the spring is an iron or chalybeate spring. Compounds of iron have been taken into solution by groundwater from soil and rocks and are now changed to the insoluble oxide on exposure to the oxygen of the air. In wet ground, compounds leached by groundwater from the soil often collect in reddish deposits a few feet below the surface, where their downward progress is arrested by some impervious clay. At the bottom of bogs and shallow lakes, iron ores sometimes accumulate to a depth of several feet. Decaying organic matter plays a large part in these changes. In its presence, the insoluble iron oxides which give color to most red and yellow rocks are decomposed, leaving the rocks of a gray or bluish color, and the soluble iron compounds which result are readily leached out, effects seen where red or yellow clays have been bleached about some decaying tree root. The iron thus dissolved is laid down as limonite when oxidized as about a chalybeate spring.
but out of contact with the air and in the presence of carbon dioxide supplied by decaying vegetation, as in a peat bog, it may be deposited as iron carbonate, or siderite. Total Amount of Underground Waters In order to realize the vast work in solution and cementation which underground waters are now doing and have done in all geological ages, we must gain some conception of their amount. At a certain depth, estimated at about six miles, the weight of the crust becomes greater than the rocks can bear, and all cavities and pores in them must be completely closed by the enormous pressure which they sustain. Below a depth of even three or four miles, it is believed that groundwater cannot circulate. Estimating the average pore spaces of the different rocks of the Earth's crust above this depth, and the average percents of their pore spaces occupied by water, it has been recently computed that the total amount of groundwater is equal to a sheet of water 100 feet deep, covering the entire surface of the earth. End of section 5, recorded by Andrew Nelson, Atlanta, Georgia.